Isn't it a good day to be in the house of the Lord? Amen? Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And as you're getting there, I want to kind of introduce this series. Hopefully, uh, you've seen uh, and heard that this is a new series as we walk through our church covenant. When we think about what it looks like for us to live as those who have covenanted together, uh, similar to, not a direct correlation, but similar to the covenant of marriage, that we as church members have covenanted before one another and before God uh, to do these things. And so to do these things faithfully, to do these things well, well, the first thing, we probably should know what those things are. And so being able to, in a time like this, in the regular uh, Lord's Day worship, to be able to emphasize this church covenant. And in thinking about this, uh, there were many things that uh, come to mind. I think there's one theologian who says that there are over 139 analogies in the New Testament for the local church. We think of things like body. We think of things like family. Uh, we think of household. We think of these different things. Well, we're not going to go into all 139 of those analogies uh, for the church. But as the weather's turned, I don't know about you, but uh, I have enjoyed this weather. Getting outside, uh, I, I'm one of those weird people that like, uh, I like to work outside. Uh, maybe it's my landscaper's blood. I, I don't know what it is, but I love being outside. I love being able to take care of the yard. And as I'm working out there, Annie and the kids are working around the garden and they're working in the flower bed and they're working in these different things. And a, a text came to mind about being rooted, right? Because like a plant, we've got to have a solid root structure, right? All of the wind that came through in the beginning and the end of March what happened to many of these trees? They were not just broken and snapped, though some of them were. Many trees that were younger, less rooted, the wind toppled them over. And so to be able to think about this church covenant as being our roots together. And Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and seven doesn't use this analogy of a flower pot or of a garden, but what he says to the church there at Colossae, therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. What do our roots need to be? They don't even need to be in our church covenant. Our roots as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should be in Him. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up. What's the imperative? Walk in Him. 
in your regular conduct, obviously this letter is written to a local church, in your walking, in your going about, in your living, in your daily life, do it in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. And I believe that as we look at our church covenant, the implications from it flow through this very reality. In Him. We don't do these things because it's written in the bulletin. We don't do these things because somebody at some point or some local uh, convention of churches gave us this covenant to walk out. We do these things because they're biblical and they're commands. So as we walk in Him, may we be rooted and built up in Him. So that's a little bit about our series. And as we go through it, we're going to be taking these implications or these commands from our church covenant and looking at them over the next six weeks to be able to see how ought we to live as a local church, right? We're not merely talking about theology. We're talking about practice. How do we, as those rooted in Christ, walk in this way? How do we practice these things? And so this morning, as we look at our church covenant, we're going to be looking at practicing brotherly love. So we don't have a scripture reading per se, but we do have a responsive reading. So I'm not going to ask you to stand in reverence and honor of the reading of God's word because the covenant is not God's word. But for visual purposes, it might be easier for you to see the words on the screen if you stand. So I would invite you to stand. And you'll see in this, we're going to be reciting the covenant. So uh, I will read the words of the leader. And then when the next slide comes up as a congregation, we'll read those things together. I'll go slow, I swear. Our church covenant here at First Baptist Church of Eastwood, we acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ is head of the church, the ultimate and final authority in all matters. Congregation, we as members have experienced the acceptance, forgiveness, and redemption of God our Father and accept the position of servant and steward with God's help through the guiding presence of of his spirit leader. We will practice brotherly love, assemble faithfully for worship and fellowship, and pray for others as well as for ourselves. Congregation, we seek to prove the reality of our conversion by living godly, fruitful lives, and will be faithful stewards of our resources with people of all nations. Amen. Thank you all. There's much debate about where Oklahoma resides in a map. What region does it belong to? Does it belong in the south? Does it belong in the Midwest? We don't really know. But one thing we know for sure is that the cooking in the south is quite a bit different. I don't know if... Uh, you all have the same kind of affinity for cooking in the South. Things like barbecue, things like jambalaya, things like anything good that God has <laughs> gifted his creation with. 
they say that Louisville is the uh, northernmost southern city and the southernmost northern city. So there's kind of a blend. We've got some really great food here as well. But there's something about cooking that when you hear, particularly women in the south, say is the main ingredient. You may read these ingredients of, you know, let's just, let's just think about southern biscuits. All right. You can do so many things with Southern biscuits. We're not going to talk about biscuits. We're just going to use them as an analogy. But be ready for our business meeting, a family meal, because you're going to be hungry after this illustration. Something in the South is that the main ingredient, while you might need flour, you might need butter, you might need water, you might need all of these different things. Oh, did I say butter? Because you're going to need even more of that. Because remember, we're in the South. But there's one ingredient that changes any food that's made in the South. And I hope you know what it is. What is it? Come on, a little bit of love. Love changes food. Love changes food. It's the, the proverbial secret sauce of food. And I think biblically the same is true for in the church. That love changes everything. Now on the onset, I want to be really clear. We're not talking about the culturally hijacked term love. Every kind of love is the same kind of love. I want to give as we get into this an example of love from Jesus. But love changes things. A church that loves with a, a, a brotherly love that we'll see from Romans chapter 12, verse 10, can change its community. Right? We're talking internal, the local church, but then we're going to take it external of the community can look fundamentally different because it loves one another as Jesus loved us. A church that loves with brotherly affection can change its community because it loves one another, not as we want to love, not as we even want to receive love, but as Jesus loved us. Boil that down to this key phrase. Loving like Jesus changes things. Loving like Jesus changes Things. Let me read our key text this morning from Romans chapter 12, verse 10, the first part of the verse. Love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. I'm going to do my best over the next mm, 35, 40 minutes for us to look at what this looks like. Loving like Jesus changes things. That's a bold claim. Hopefully, experientially, you know this to be true. But perhaps if you have some, some uh, maybe some, some setbacks, here's how I hope to support that claim. First, we'll look at the Bible's clear commands to love one another. The Bible's clear commands to love one another. Secondly, we'll see that Jesus models this kind of love. Jesus models this kind of love. And lastly, 
I want us to be able to not only know the commands to see Jesus model, but I want us to be able to see and dream and hope and aspire to make these a reality in our church. So the Bible's commands, Jesus model and a vision for this kind of brotherly love. First, the Bible's commands to love one another. Remember, our text is Romans 12, verse 10, where Paul says, Love one another in this way with brotherly affection. Perhaps as you read that, your heart is causing you some barriers to be raised that you've, you've perhaps had family relationships. When you think of a brother, or maybe you say, Pastor, I don't even have a brother. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Let me help bring down a barrier for you. In my teens, I've got an older brother who's just about two years older than me. In our teens, as we are vying for who's going to be the dominant son, because I thought that's what homes were supposed to be about, the survival of the stronger, more noble of the sons, uh, it led us to an afternoon uh, roughhousing, so to speak, where one of our heads was thrust into uh, the doorway in our hall. I won't let you, uh, I'll just let you think of, man, either we have a pastor who's a jerk or we need to get him some counseling. So perhaps maybe you have poor family relations and the thought of brotherly love doesn't feel like a reality to you. Perhaps maybe the family relations is not the thing, but maybe you're hesitant. Maybe you're saying, as we think about this being specific in the local church, maybe you say, I've never really experienced this. I have some familiarity with the people that come in and out, but we've always kind of, at the end of the day, we've been at odds. So brotherly love and and that type of affection doesn't really seem like a reality to you. Or perhaps maybe you say, all right, it's not the family thing. It's not the church thing. It's I want a love like this, but it's really hard. Let me say, amen. It is, because on the surface, we may read this and just go about our next reading assignment. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Okay, I read it. All right, what's next? No, there's something deeper under the surface as we think about this love and this brotherly affection that Paul talks about. So, a Bible's clear command. I mean, we just read it. Romans 12.10, love one another with a brotherly affection. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Let's pray and be on our way. The Bible says it, you need to do it. And that should be enough, but sadly it isn't. It's not enough for me. It's not enough for us to just be able to say, okay, I need a love like this. Uh, And then we think, well, what is this? Because I know the love that I have for my brother might not be the love that Paul's talking about. 
And I think you would be right if you said that. So from the onset, I want us to define what love like this is and what it isn't. Just the previous verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul commands the Romans with this same type of love, but he says, let love be genuine. Friends, I think you could make the argument that all love is genuine. Any love that is disingenuine or uh, false is not love at all. It is slapping a phrase on something that is a falsity. Let your love be genuine. But it's not just in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 or 10. I want us to be able to see a couple other biblical imperatives to love. To love. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. If you are taking notes, I'm going to just rattle these off really quick. Uh, probably won't read many of them. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. What's the imperative? Don't stop. Don't stop. Let brotherly love continue. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. No, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verses 9 and 10 of Romans chapter 13. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's keep going. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the penalty, the payment, the appeasement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. First John four nineteen kind of helps define and shape this love. Earlier in chapters, uh, in verses 7 through 12, we kind of get a glimpse of it. But we're reminded that this love precedes our love. First John four nineteen, we love because He first loved us. More biblical commands to love one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. I'm sure we could get to more of those things, those commands to love one another, but that's a pretty good starting point. 
So if we're to love one another with a brotherly affection, let's look at four quick things before we move on to our next point. First, let's look at the context. Where is this love to take place? Remember Paul writing a letter to the church there in Rome. Therefore, the letter's written to the church. Let me find it just briefly, reading through Romans over the last week or so. Even when Paul addresses who he is writing to, he cannot get away from the love of God. Man, that's disappointing. Thank you. Plurality of pastors is a gift of God, by the way. Where he whispers the text just low enough to where maybe a couple of you heard it. But I definitely did. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. In this introduction, this greeting, Paul writes to all those in Rome who are loved by God. And called to be saints. This is not a universal letter. This is a letter particularly to those who have trusted in Christ. Those who are loved by God. Those who are called saints. So the context for this love is the church. Now you might be saying, cool. If all I've got to do is love inside the church. I mean, that still stinks and it's hard. But that's better than having to love what's outside. No. This is not to say don't love those outside the church. That would be so unbiblical. That would be sinful. But what it is saying is that the love for which we are commanded to have towards church members and those in the global church is to be particular, peculiar, and different from the way that we love those outside the church, those who are non-Christians. The love that we ought to have for one another might, must be different. One quick biblical example to explain that of the love that we ought to have for the local church, the body of believers that we've covenanted to outside of and different from the world. When Jesus, mother and brothers, are brought before him as he's teaching, he says of his disciples, right? Jesus' mother and his brothers are announced to him. Jesus, here's your family. And Jesus responds to him and says these, pointing to his disciples, are my brothers, the ones who do what I've commanded. Really simply, that means we have more in common and should have more in common with the Middle Eastern Christian than we do with our own flesh and blood if they are apart from Christ. Hear me again. We should have more in common with the Middle Eastern Christian than we do with our own flesh and blood if they are apart from Christ. Let's move on. The object of this love. Who is Paul saying to love? And he says, one Another. There are many examples in the New Testament of these one another commands of what life in a local church ought to look like. And over the course of the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at a lot of those one another commands. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. 
lift up one another. See that one another would become mature in Christ. The object of this love is one another. And the result of this love changed lives. I'm going to be honest. This sermon is a really hard topic for me. There's a lot going on in life. A lot of the hesitations of brotherly love that I just don't feel. But I want to. We can all attest that when you're loved, when you're truly loved, you cannot help but be changed. Because in our heart, we know We know when someone is being superficial with us. And somehow, intuitively, we know when someone loves us genuinely. And when this genuine love produces fruit, the result is changed lives. Let me ask you a quick question by show of hands. If you had to choose a place to go this evening, would you rather go to a place that does not like you or a place that loves you? Would you rather go to a place that does not like you? Would you rather go to a place that they genuinely love you? Me too. Our homes should be filled and fueled with this love. Our relationships with our family ought to be fueled with this love. And certainly, our church ought to be fueled with this love because the result of it changes lives. You may sit there and say, ah, man, genuine love of them? You want them to genuinely love me with this brotherly affection? That's going to mean some things. I don't know. Maybe you say, I don't think I can do that. Well, friend, before we move on to our next point, the means of this love. How do we love in this way? What are its ingredients? How is it made up? How does this happen? The context is in the church. The object is one another. The result is changed lives. The means is a love that's not our own. Friends, if I call you to muster up every ounce of emotional uh, stability that you have to go and love one another you're going to fail. I'm going to fail. If I try to love you as a shepherd loves his sheep under my own strength, I'm going to fail. That's why we need the means. It's a love that's not our own. So we've seen the biblical commands. We've seen these different things. Let me show you the example of love. A love that's not our own. A love like Jesus changes things. 
Maybe you're still hung up on the brotherly love. Let me just maybe squash some of those things and being able to say, yes, you're right. Brotherly love, if we look at just a strict nuclear and, and biological association as someone who's a sibling to us, we have so many negative examples of brothers doing uh, horrible things, not only in history, but certainly throughout Scripture. So let me just squash that. Remember Genesis 4? There were these two brothers. That if you had the brotherly love of these brothers, man, it would not be good for you. And maybe perhaps you say, yeah, I think I've been in some churches that have had that kind of brotherly love. Christmases, Thanksgiving, oh yeah, our families get-togethers are great. Brotherly love all the time. No, that is a negative example. Where Cain rises up and kills Abel. And even beforehand, God sends a messenger to Cain as Cain is there, despondent, dejected. Tells him, if you do good, it will go well for you. But if you don't, sin is crouching like a lion, ready to devour you. And what does Cain do? He follows through by murdering his brother. And when the blood of Abel spoke up to God, we don't know how that happened, but it happened because the text said it happened. That God comes and he asks Cain, where's your brother? And you can almost hear it in his voice. Am I my brother's keeper? What do I know? He knew full well. Friends, we're not talking about biology. We're not talking about flesh and blood when we talk about brotherly affection what we're talking about is a spiritual identity so for the sisters in the room let's expand brotherly to brotherly and sisterly affection because it's talking about the household the family of god in the way in which they love one another it's not the greek phrase agape uh, where it is this perfected love that is much uh, defined in Christ's love for us, but it is a phileo love or Philadelphia. That's why we get the city of brotherly love. It is a love for the family of God. And it's fueled by Jesus' love. So a love like Jesus changes things because, first, it's a redeeming love. It's a redeeming love. John Piper, in reflecting on this passage, states that the letter to the Romans, as Brian has uh, taught us in Sunday school, is about this core theme of a believer's justification by faith alone. Piper reflects, and I'm paraphrasing here, that as a unified whole, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, is about justification by faith alone alone if you're like what on earth are we talking about that we're talking about brotherly love we need to recognize that the love of christ is a redeeming love it justifies us not by our own doing it's not as a response to our love but it is by faith 
alone. Writing earlier in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 26, I believe Paul expounds and defines this justification by faith alone. He writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because by His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul hits it right on the nose. There is no distinction Friends, this redeeming love shows no partiality, no distinction. Because not only is it a redeeming love, it's a gracious love. Right? Let that soak in to your bones, into your heart, that there was a redemption that was needed. You weren't good and you needed to be made more good. You were unjust unrighteous and you must be made righteous you must be made from unjust to justified and you are justified by christ through faith it is a gracious love that shows no distinction not only is it uh, redeeming and gracious it's complete jesus in the gospels as he's teaching and as he's going, the Pharisees and the chief priests continue to try and catch him up. Who's, who, who should we pay taxes to? What do you think about divorce? And the comments of the writers of the Gospels say something to the effect of Jesus knowing their hearts. Jesus' love is a complete Love. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says, The gospel is this We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Think about that. You are more deeply and intimately known by your Creator than you could ever imagine. A God who is omniscient, knowing all things, knows all things about you. Knows all things about me. And that should frighten us. But Keller goes on, yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. We don't want to love like that. On the other hand, Keller continues, truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. 
God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. I know many of us in the room are not of age to have watched Cheers when it originally aired. But the saying was that you would always go to Cheers because everybody knows your name. That postman, no wonder they're delayed so much. You may come to church where everyone knows your name. I mean, I know that we have people that are just busting down the doors to get in, and we're, we've got overflow in the parking lot, and like it's really hard to know everybody's name. That's a joke. We can laugh. God's redeeming this place. Praise God. Where everyone knows your name, and that's great on the, on the front level. But a church where everyone knows your name is not enough. The church is about more than just being a place where everyone knows your name. It's a place where this full, complete, gracious, redeeming love is enacted as those who have been recipients of it. Right? The means of this love is not something we can muster. It's something that we must be first recipients of. And then give it to others. I want to try and flesh this out, and I know I'm over, and I haven't even gotten to my third point. But it being a redeeming, a gracious, a complete love, I think is application enough. Here's this last point, and here's how the best I can describe it. This love that Jesus shows us and we as believers are commanded to love. I think it tastes like heaven. I think it tastes like heaven. Right? It's not superficial. It's not merely asking what your week held. It's not merely checking in out of obligation. It is a deep, love, and devotion to one another. And it tastes like heaven. Why aren't people coming to church? You could write book upon book to try and answer that question, but I think one key reason is nothing's different. Nothing's different. Sure, we don't have atrocities in our pews like what we saw on Monday morning. But when we try and get to the base level and see what's different, if we cannot say a church that loves with brotherly affection, that loves with the love of Christ, that wants to get in on everybody's life, I wouldn't be compelled to be there either. 
Can we all at least agree that when we know that we're deeply loved, maybe there's some, some animosity or maybe there's some inner turmoil that's going on. It's like, man, I know that they love me and they want what's good for me, but sometimes that means they're going to hold me accountable and I don't really like that. Right? Because love's not just saying, hey, it's just like Keller said, it's not just affirming. Love is saying, brother, sister, you're showing no fruit of the gospel in your life. The love of Christ that is redeeming, gracious, complete. It doesn't seem to be a marker of your life. We should receive that and be frightened. When we hear a harsh word from a husband to his wife, we shouldn't just say, oh man, they're... Well, that's just them. That's what they do. No, that's not okay. There should be this modeling of accountability, of of brother to brother, sister to sister, of being able to call people to walk in this way. That's what our covenant is for. Friends, when we walk in light of the redeeming work of Christ on our behalf, that's going to change things. But it's got to change us first before it can change a relationship with another. We must let the reality of our redemption and Christ's atoning work on the cross hit our hearts before we try and skip some steps. What does it look like to embody a gracious love in our church? A gracious love in our church. I've kind of moved to a vision for this kind of love. A vision of this kind of love. What does it look like to be grounded in the redemption of Christ on your behalf? And then what does it look like to live and to love graciously. Remembering Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, this was a gift of God so that no one may boast. When we realize that the love of Christ on our behalf is a gift, it's not earned, it's not something that we returned, that we gained. It was freely given. The Apostle Paul earlier in Romans talks about that a worker who works receives his wage not as a gift, but as what he's owed. We have not received a salvation that is something we are owed. We've received a salvation that is unmerited, undeserved. It is all grace to live in community as a church with this gracious love, right? We've read texts even this morning that God in his grace looked over former sins in Christ. 
Maybe you're holding something over someone's head here at the church. Maybe you've got some kind of expectation for what would happen versus what is happening. Maybe you've got these different things and it's causing your love for one another to dwindle, to dissipate, or perhaps to disappear completely. Friend, remember that this love is a gracious love. The psalmist writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to twist it just a little bit. Taste and see that this kind of love is good. I pray that your heart would yearn to not only be Loved. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, this is great. I want to be the recipient of this kind of love. I don't really want to be the giver of this kind of love because that. May we all be both recipients and those who love with this type of brotherly affection. And may we like those amazing meals from the south, have tasted and seen that little piece of heaven from exhibiting and walking in this kind of brotherly love, and may we want more. May it spread to us. May it multiply that we would be a church that is peculiar in the way in which we love one another. Because we're reminded that it is through the disciples' love for one another that the world would know that they are his disciples. May we at First Baptist Church Eastwood love one another in such a way that not only does it fill up our hearts, but that it changes our community. But it's got to start here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and kindness in Christ that you have loved us first. It's a love that is redeeming, a love that is gracious, a love that is complete. Father, give us a vision and a view of this love. Help us connect. Help our hearts know these things. And to be able to walk in love with one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.